All right, welcome everybody to the Buffalo Beat here this week. Joe Biscaglia along with Matthew Fairburn. Thank you for listening to us as always. And as we get closer to the pads going on at training camp over at One Bills Drive in Orchard Park, we figured we'd get a bit of an outside perspective to see what uh, what is going on with the Bills and a very advanced look at uh, what what they could be looking at coming into this year, what they've done in the past, everything along those lines. So joining us today from footballoutsiders.com, Aaron Schatz and their uh, Football Outsiders Almanac for 2020 was just released. So you can go find that at footballoutsiders.com. Aaron, thanks so much for for joining us today. And we we really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Well, the first thing I'm sure we, we would just we're just curious about is your overall view on this Bills team, what they did last year, what kind of stood out to you just when you were running some of your studies and everything along those lines. And then uh, coming into this year, which is what has been built up to be an, an incredibly uh, big year for this franchise. Yeah. I mean, I think the improvement on offense, you know, was a big part of last year, but you know, it was because they were so bad the year before so they didn't improve. They were still below average on offense by our numbers, but it was a, a major improvement over the year before. And the defense has been really good for two years now. So when you combine those two things, you ended up with a winning team that was sort of on the edge of the playoffs, but made it in. I mean, they weren't even uh, by our numbers. They weren't the worst team in the playoffs. Actually, Houston was. Um, but they weren't, you know, one of the top teams in the league either. But it was an impressive improvement. And it's nice to be back in the playoffs after all those years of not being in the playoffs. (laughs) It's better to be in the playoffs than not be in them. Uh, And so I think for this year, uh, the big focuses are, can the offense improve? And the problem of defense, where defense in general just isn't very consistent from year to year. And so as, as good as we project the Buffalo defense to be, it's not as strong as like the strongest offenses in the league are because there's just so much more unknown about how good defense is going to be than how good offense is going to be. It's a lot easier to project Kansas city and go, okay, Kansas city's offense is going to be one of the best in the league. It's going to be this strong. You know, that's how good they're going to likely be. And that outweighs whether their defense is mediocre and et cetera. It's just a lot harder to predict defense like that. Along those lines, you know, what do you think makes defense tougher to sustain or tougher to predict? And do you think that there will be any benefit to the Bills to having a lot of the same pieces, particularly in the secondaries, you know, same play caller uh, now for four years? Do, how much can that benefit them? And, and what does make it hard to sustain or predict that a good defense will be just as good the, the following year? I mean, that's a benefit. Absolutely. There's no question about it. Having that kind of consistency in your players and in your play calling and the system and the players aren't needing to learn a new system. The main reason I think why defense is hard to predict from year to year is just the power that the quarterback has over the game. Quarterback is just such an important position that sometimes defense, no matter how much you try to adjust for the quality of offenses, defense becomes more about the quality of the quarterbacks that you face that it necessarily is about how good your defensive players are. When you add to that, then I think the fact that uh, turnovers are more random on defense and obviously are hugely important, but more random. 
And that defense, it seems like injuries play a larger role because um, it's harder to paper over your weaknesses, right? Because the offense is out there making the decisions as far as where the plays go. It's easier for an offense to ignore its own weaknesses than it is for a defense to ignore its own weaknesses because the offense can attack the weaknesses. So once you start having injuries, you know, I think it plays a, a big role not as big a role as a quarterback injury would, but I think a bigger role than offensive injuries at other positions do. I am curious about defense in particular this season because we hope that it's such an anomaly based on what is going on with the world. But the fact that uh, the Bills have so much of that chemistry coming back together, and we alluded to it a, a little bit, uh, how much of an impact do you think that might have in this coming season where maybe it might be, and we always hear about it with training camps too, right? Because we hear offenses are behind defenses because they take more time to kind of click together. I wonder if there might be a little bit of that when we get into the early stages of the regular season with defenses being a little bit ahead of the curve, especially ones that have uh, turnover or not a lot of turnover from their starting lineup. Yeah, it's it's this is a different year there's no question about it and that's not incorporated in our projections because we've never had a year like 2020 right. to compare i mean we write about it certainly the issues of this year number one the consistency and um, continuity is going to be likely more important and two um that there's probably going to be more randomness not injuries as much as, you know, COVID-19 infections. We're going to just randomly lose players along the line. And that probably drags every team in the league towards eight and eight because uh, it's hard, you know, to tell which players we're suddenly going to just lose for two weeks in the middle of the season. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think that that absolutely helps the Bills. I mean, there is some movement in the front seven, right? I mean, they lost Lorenzo Alexander. They add um, – Jefferson and they add uh, and they add Epinesa, whose name I never seem to be able to pronounce correctly. It's not really that hard. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, so th things are moving around. There's some moving pieces in the front seven. I think uh, we write about that a bit in the chapter in Football Outsiders Almanac 2020. The way that the they're go they're going from sort of having this flexibility between pass rushers and off ball linebackers with Lorenzo Alexander to instead having this flexibility between defensive tackles and pass rushers with guys like Epinesa who, and Jefferson who can sort of move inside to outside and outside to inside. You know, you mentioned the, the power the quarterback has over the defense, which is, um, you know, everything seems to come back to that conversation, you know, with the Bills uh, surrounding the quarterback. You guys write about it a, a lot uh, in the chapter in the Almanac, and get into a lot of, um, you know, interesting metrics with him. I'm curious, I know obviously you guys uh, got some attention for your pre-draft opinion of Josh Allen. I'm curious how you've seen him grow uh, as a passer and as a player, if maybe um, he's any better than you thought he would be or farther along and, and how much you think he can still grow. Because what interested me is what you guys wrote about um, you know, third year quarterbacks, you don't see a lot of breakouts in year three. No, you see, I mean, it happens. Guys break out in year three, four, heck even year. What was Tannehill in six? Like right. random breakouts happen. But for the most part, the improvement of quarterbacks in the NFL comes between year one and year two. 
And that absolutely happened for Josh Allen. Josh Allen went from among the worst quarterbacks in the league to what I would consider sort of replacement level, which, I mean, sounds very negative, but is a big improvement over where he was the year before. Uh, He ended up uh, in our quarterback ratings last year, he ended up 28th in total value, which, you know, is not good, but it's it, that's passing value only, and that's above where he was the year before. It doesn't include his rushing value, which is always strong. So he absolutely improved. His accuracy in intermediate routes was a big part of the improvement, and especially the short middle part of the field, like those like 5 to 15-yard routes in the middle of the field, there was a lot of improvement. He still struggles on the accuracy on the deep pass and then the the really short passes um but he absolutely has grown the question is just how much more he can grow so here here's the thing right so if you look at what we consider replacement level if you look at quarterbacks who've been below replacement level in their first two years with a you know a reasonable minimum number of passes there really are only a couple of guys who've developed into strong starters in the NFL, Alex Smith. And then if you want to go really far back, like Troy Aikman, for the most part, players who come in below replacement level in their first two years, they don't develop into solid starters. Eventually Uh, there are plenty of guys who are terrible in their first year. So Allen is one of those guys who does come in below replacement level for his first two years, but just barely for year two. Like, I mean, really like by a slim, tiny margin. So I don't want to write him off entirely. So then with with him, how much can he still grow? I mean, that's that's uh, you're, uh, you, you laid it out that there's not often this big jump um, in that in that third year. But what where can he go with this? Because the bills are. Uh, pretty earnest on on what he is and what what they they think he can become um, is that what do you believe is possible with Josh Allen? I mean, you know, the, the football is a, a game with a lot of unexpected things that happen in it, and so you know, again, you can't write off the dramatic improvement. You just can't expect it. I think the two things he could improve the best is taking fewer sacks and deep ball accuracy. And he's got a great deep receiver now to throw to. He's got two of them, actually, because he's mm-hmm. got John Brown. And now he's got Stephon Diggs. So he's got great guys to get open deep, but he's got to improve his accuracy on those deep passes. How much is the the rushing component? Um, what, what value does that add to him? And how much do you think that could be sustainable? Is it something that... Um, you know, you mentioned him falling just below replacement level. Does it push him over the edge? Um, and is it something that you can count on uh, year after year? Yeah, if you add rushing and passing, it absolutely would push him over the edge of what we would consider replacement level. No question about it. Uh, and I do think it's it's consistent from year to year. The guys have rushing value, especially, you know, not as much in advanced stats as in just sort of standard runs and yards. Guys run, who run a lot will tend to run a lot year after year. So, I mean, I think Allen will get plenty of rushing yards this year, plenty of rushing touchdowns like he's gotten the last couple of years. Uh, he was number two in our numbers in rushing value last year for quarterbacks behind just Lamar Jackson. So I don't see any reason why that doesn't continue for the next few years. You know, not necessarily into his late 30s, but, you know, right. he's certainly nowhere near that at this point. 
Well, with with Josh and what he's bringing to the table as a passer, the the players around him. You brought up Stefan Diggs. You brought up John Brown. What about the rest of the offense? That being the offensive line, Cole Beasley, Dawson Knox. Are they uh, good enough to pick up some of the slack where Josh Allen was maybe a little bit uh, uh, below average in your mind last year? Yeah, I mean, Beasley is a strong slot receiver. Uh, I don't really know much about Knox. He seems to have room to grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, The offensive line is kind of underrated. Last year, the Bills were sixth in uh, Sports Info Solutions counting of blown blocks per pass play, but 23rd in pressure rate and adjusted sack rate. And, you know, a lot of research has found that a lot of sack rate and pressure rate tends to be more about the quarterback than about the offensive line itself. So I think the Bills' offensive line did a good job of blocking and just Allen holds onto the ball really long, like a lot of scrambling quarterbacks do, trying to make something happen. And, you know, it's interesting because they used a strategy of team, team building that doesn't you don't normally think of as working. They kind of threw everything against the wall to see what stuck on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Like they signed a lot of mid-level free agents and drafted guys and were just like threw it all in. And then we're like, all right, we're going to get five guys out of this. And they did. And it worked. Yeah. What do you think about how they've built this team as a whole? When you look at it's hard to remove the quarterback piece. So much will will be dependent on what Josh Allen becomes and, and how big of a, a step he can take. But we've also seen teams find success with uh mediocre quarterbacks before um and it's not the most sustainable way to do it but what about the job sean mcdermott and brandon bean have done building this roster and and kind of putting the pieces together from where they were when they took over yeah i mean that's the problem with it is that it's just not as sustainable because of the randomness of defense but there's no question that they have done a great job building this roster i think we say in football outsiders almanac that if you take away the quarterback position this might be the best team, the best starting starting lineup, at least, uh, of the other 21 guys in the league. So they're absolutely very strong all over the offense, all over the defense. They've done a really good job. They've done a lot of that with signing free agents. The trade, the Diggs trade was outstanding, um, especially, um, I mean, uh, I was going to say uh, – it would have been even better if they could have somehow gotten DeAndre Hopkins, given how little Arizona had to give up for him. (laughs) They gave up a lot more than Arizona did, but um, you know, that was a great player to get and a, you know, a really valuable player. So uh, I mean, I think we're very high on how this team was built. I had one, uh, one question kind of going off that, that Diggs point, how much do you think Diggs, especially in that, uh, that, short to intermediate area right over the middle which is where you said Allen improved how much can Diggs help uh in that spot for Allen or even in the the entirety of the intermediate areas for him to I mean he helps all over the field yeah Yeah, he helped all over the field it's interesting because he's been used really differently the last couple years like two years ago he was used a lot really short and then last year he was used a lot really deep same quarterbacks uh just was used very differently so I mean, Diggs has the ability to get the ball to go all over the field. So he helps everywhere. I mean, there's no question he's a help. You mentioned that you think, you know, you guys do have high praise for this roster. It might be one of the the best rosters, if not the best roster in football outside of quarterback. 
where do you how do you see the AFC East right now? The rest of the the landscape. Obviously, this is probably the most interesting year in the AFC East in a long time because Tom Brady's gone. How do you see the rest of this this division and where the Bills fit in? Well, I mean, first of all, the fact is because our offensive projection for the Bills is so low, some of that is sort of reverting to where they were two years ago. Uh, you know, sort of that that kind of movement balances out the, at the addition of digs. So even though we have their defensive projection really good compared to other defenses, we have them as kind of a 500 team on average, which means that they could really be anything, right? They could be five and 11. They could be 11 and five. Uh, we have the Patriots ahead of them, but we didn't before Cam Newton was signed. When it was Jared Stidham as the proposed starting quarterback, we had the Patriots second in the division. So adding Cam Newton moved them ahead of the Bills in their odds. We now have the Patriots win the division in 37% of our simulations and the Bills in 31% of our simulations. Wow. Uh, the Jets took a hit. I mean, everybody in the division took a hit from opt-outs, but obviously the Patriots took a huge hit from opt-outs. They were, they were ahead. They were, they were at more like 43% or something before the opt-outs. And the Jets losing C.J. Mosley and trading away Jamal Adams, I mean, they just lost the two best players on their defense. So, like any, you know, idea that they were going to be this surprise contender sort of goes by the wayside when you lose your two best players on defense. And then Miami is interesting because we really like the way they're building for the future. And they were strong in the second half of last year. Not strong in the second half of last year. They were bad in the second half of last year. They were historically abysmal in the first half of last year. Uh, but normally, looking at how a team plays over the whole year is a better guide than just looking at the second half. And so our projection for them is actually, I think, lower than many people would expect. But we like the way that they're building for the future. Uh, but I think for this year, it's very likely a two-team race between Buffalo and New England. All right. Well, Aaron, um, I understand with the Football Outsiders Almanac for 2020 that's available at uh, your website, footballoutsiders.com, there's also a charitable element to that as well. So what, what exactly are you guys doing with that? Yeah, absolutely. You can get the electronic version of the book at our site, footballoutsiders.com. You can get a print version of the book at amazon.com. And either way, a portion of the proceeds from every copy of Football Outsiders Almanac 2020 Go to benefit the United Way Worldwide COVID-19 Community Response and Recovery Fund. So it's our way of doing a little bit of part to try to help things when things are kind of crazy in the world. And uh, by buying our book, you can do your part to help us and to help the way things are crazy in the world. You get to do both. Well, perfect. Awesome. All right. well, hey, thanks so much, Aaron, for, for joining well, us. I, I appreciate you taking some time. And uh, I think... Uh, it's going to be an interesting year for the Bills for a lot of the reasons you outlined. It's going to be an interesting year for everybody. <laughs> it sure will. <laughs> it's already been Here's... too interesting of a year, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, usually you know, good luck to your team. But I think instead I'm going to sign off this year with just good luck to having the season happen for six. Let's have a full season. And, and uh, if we have a full season, the Bills should do well. Absolutely. All right, Aaron, thanks so much for the time. All right, thanks for having me on, guys. All right, well, that was Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. We'll have some more comments about what he had to say about Josh Allen in just a moment. But first, a quick uh, message from our sponsors at 
Fubo.tv. Now, if you are uh, a cord cutter of cable or you are thinking about it, and but you're worried about getting live sports, Fubo.tv might be the way to go for you. Now, now what you can do, uh, you they have a family plan where there are three people that can watch it at once and a standard base plan where you can have two screens going at once, which are perfect for ideally for uh, lots of games and figuring out uh, what games you want to watch. And in the first month with Fubo.tv, you can get 15% off and the, the uh, specifications don't end there. You get 30 hours of DVR, you get local broadcasts, and of course, it's a little bit tougher times due to the pandemic and everything going along those lines. But for $50 a month, it's still a ton more affordable than other cable providers. And just in case you were wondering, NBC Sports is also included on their national feed. So with that NFL season right around the corner, Fubo.tv will not disappoint you if you want to cut the cord and get your live sports. Stay updated on your favorite teams as well as local broadcast news. So go to Fubo.tv slash athletic today and get 15% off your first month. You won't regret it. That's Fubo.tv slash athletic. Start your first month today. And now a quick word from Indochino. All right, so Matthew, a ton to chew on from Aaron there. I love his mind. I always remember hearing him back when I worked at uh, at, at GR in Buffalo. Uh, he was on every week, and, and it was always fun hearing his kind of different perspective about the Bills, what's going on in the rest of the league. What kind of stood out to you the most, do you think? Yeah, I'm fascinated by the, the defense conversation uh, right. first. You know, this idea that, you know, maybe year to year, it's not as repeatable as you think. And, you know, they get into a lot of that uh, in their book, but it it raises some interesting points, not just about the 2020 bills, but beyond. And some of the stuff we've talked about, things like, you know, making sure all these guys come back, right? Um, you know, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, uh, Tredavious White, guys that are such a key part of what they do, um, there can be a lot of moving pieces on the defensive side of the ball, but the number one thing that stood out when he was talking about why it's not sustainable is it's so dependent on the quarterback. Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody talks about it being a quarterback league. Everybody knows that. Uh, everybody, at 90% of football conversations that are had, it seems like, revolve around quarterback or a specific quarterback. And it makes sense to use that line of thinking when you're talking about defense. If the quarterback is so important, then the best quarterback will be able to beat the best defense, which on its own makes defense less sustainable and less reliable as a way of building a team. Not to say the Bills haven't built this team well, but it it underscores a little bit more the importance of Josh Allen, what he becomes, and um, the need for the offense, frankly, to pick up some of the slack from the defense that has been so consistent over the last three years and been a, a big reason why they've had the success they've had. Yeah, I also found it interesting, and I'm glad that he that he pointed the the part out about the Bills' defense, that they're essentially changing up their looks. It's something that uh, we wrote about at The Athletic. Um, I can't even remember what month now, but third downs might look vastly different from what we're used to uh, seeing from them because Lorenzo Alexander is out of the picture now, and you replace them with more of a – prototypical pass rusher from the edge 
and you don't exactly know what kind of looks you're going to get from from one to the next on third downs and it might even lead to some fewer pressures in there they might have to get a little bit more creative maybe a little bit more dependent on winning one-on-one battles up front with their front four but that all goes to the uh, I guess the randomness point of team defense and you can have a bunch of really good players which the Bills do uh, but but all that said I mean you have to be able to capitalize on specific opportunities and sometimes if the quarterback is just hot and you know really stinking good like you know, for instance, just a very small example, but a big one that's kind of stuck in everyone's minds. Deshaun Watson in the fourth quarter in overtime was just unbelievable. And, you know, spinning out of a, a tackle in the backfield to make that to make that throw to Taiwan Jones. I mean, that that is a play that not many quarterbacks are making. Not many humans are making that play. But, you know, that just kind of shows the randomness and you can you can account for all of this stuff with defense, but at, at the end of the day, it's there's just so many different layers to what could go wrong for a defense based on the opponent that they're facing. You need a quarterback that can keep up, right? I mean, right. you need you need to have that. You, need, you If you want a chance in those games consistently, there, there's going to be the days where Deshaun Watson is off and you've got his number or you found something on film that, that you can exploit. But I think more and more the game has you know, leaned towards offense in even the way the rules are structured uh, and in the way it's being played, which maybe makes it easier to play quarterback than it used to be, but it, it certainly makes it uh, easier to sustain success on that side of the ball, and it makes it a challenge to do it on the defensive side of the ball, which everything Aaron was talking about really underscores the job that they've done over the last mm-hmm. three years. Not that they were, yeah. you know, at the top, top of the league in each of those three years, but Defense has been a strength. Uh, they had some moments where where it wasn't, but even think about that. It kind of goes back to the the same point we're talking about. Those games, uh, I think about New Orleans a few years ago. Uh, you know, they they had stretches of the season where they got beat up on defense, and it kind of goes back to how much the the offense and the quarterback play a hand in that. Is it's not that they weren't that talented on defense. They're certainly more talented now than they were a couple of years ago, but they had a lot of the same pieces in the secondary and still had stretches of time where they struggled. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, having to constantly carry that weight week after week. Uh, and in this case, year after year. So that's really going to be such a big story heading into the 2020 season is, how much can the offense close the gap? How much closer can they get to the defense? And can the defense stay there? Uh, you know, can the defense stay being one of the best in the league? It seems like a foregone conclusion that they will. But, you know, as Aaron was talking about, it's not always the case. I do think they're benefited from, or they will benefit from the fact that, you know, you alluded to it when we were talking to, to Aaron, the, the idea that, Offense sometimes lags behind defense. Right, exactly. You would think there's some sloppy play, and you would think that the fact that this Bills team has played with one another, this secondary communicates at a very high level, they have the same play caller, you would think all of that would help them at least in the early going. But um, there's still a lot of variables on that side of the ball, and you know there's still kind of this um, you know idea that even if they're that good, 
we saw their ceiling last year, right? We saw what the team looks like with a top-end elite defense that can't get too much better than it was last year. They could create more turnovers. There's, There's always things that they could do. But you can't ask for much more out of the defense than what they got last year. And still, it was a first-round wildcard exit. So where's the ceiling? Um, and it may mean, you know, where's the ceiling on offense is what determines what the ceiling of this team is. Yeah, I do think there are, like, I, I, I remember 2017, there they were just going crazy with turnovers, just, just left and right. 2018 kind of came back down to earth a little bit. But, but last year, it got a little bit better, but not to the point where it was in 2017. So I do wonder if maybe turnovers will, will go a bit more in their favor next year. Or maybe teams are just so uh, afraid of Micah Hyde and uh, in, in that secondary there that they're just not even going to test him. I mean, he only had one interception last year. And in 2017, what do you have, four or five? I think Poyer had four or five as well. And Poyer ended up with two last season. So I do think there is a bit of a positive regression for that sa- for that safety duo that could wind but up there happening is some, for them. There's some randomness to it too, as Aaron Absolutely. You know, you know, kind 100%. of turnovers can get random. And it goes, again, back to this point of, who are they playing against, right? What quarterback are they playing against? You know, are you, you know, because quarterbacks can dictate the turnovers as much as the defense can. So, um, you know, I think it is interesting. You know, we'll see how teams play against them because uh, I go back to, I think about that game in Atlanta a lot, their first season. Um, mm-hmm. And Leslie Frazier has mentioned multiple times that when Micah Hyde picked off a, a deep pass, that day he noticed a change from that point forward and how offense is played against them and so there's an element of that that this secondary when it's playing well and when when it's in sync and and doing you know what it's designed to do can to some extent dictate to quarterbacks but it's really tough to do uh you know even you brought up deshaun watson which is uh certainly the most recent example for bills fans Right, it's a great example. You look at Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Um, both of those, what's similar about both of those performances is that great defenses held those quarterbacks in check for a long stretch of the game, and all it took was a quarter, a quarter and a half. You know, a, mm-hmm. a few really good drives to flip a game on its head, and it is really hard to shut down one of those quarterbacks for four straight quarters, and it's hard to do it for 16 games and it would be the timing would be perfect for Josh Allen to break out and become the quarterback that they want him to become because I don't know I think you can count on this defense this year for sure um we'll see what happens to the the personnel and the structure of it in years to come but I think they still have enough in place personnel and coaching wise to be at or near uh, you know the the top 10 in defense and that should be more than good enough so long as the offense picks up the slack. Yeah, and that brings us to the inevitable Josh Allen discussion because I think when, you know, so I, I would assume the, the majority of the people that listen to our podcast are Bills fans, if not all of them. So when, when you hear sub-replacement level, replacement level sort of thing you you're probably kind of slinking down your chair a little bit going oh okay well it it felt like he was better than that and I'm and you know I'm glad you asked about the rushing statistics too because that definitely plays into a factor here but the the simple point is 
He did get better as a passer last year, but he still needs to get better and a lot more consistent. And I don't think anyone in the world will debate that Bills fan or not. I mean, this is the people that pay attention to him know that he is not a finished product. It's just a matter of who he can become and, and how much higher his ceiling could inevitably be. And the bills are quite bullish on him. I mean, they, they think he can reach the, the, these new levels, a new plateau, anything along those lines, because they saw how he kind of molded himself after that Titans game. I, that, that's the one that kind of sticks to me the most, because after that, he went on a run of, of games where he wasn't taking a ton of chances with the ball and, and being smart about it. And then as the season was going, he was getting the ball out of his hand a lot quicker. So all of these different aspects to him certainly led to his improvement, but then, as we saw in the second half of the Texans game, he he, he unraveled a bit uh, on, a, on a couple of possessions there. So I, I suppose it's just it's just a matter of what he can become, and and no one really knows that answer, which is why it it makes this season such a compelling one. Yeah, I dug into a little bit of what Aaron was talking about a few weeks ago when I wrote about you know what are. What are fair benchmarks for a third-year quarterback? What are fair benchmarks for Josh Allen? And he's he's a tricky quarterback to pin down because of that rushing production and because, you know, he's below replacement level as a passer, and I don't think anybody who has watched him or looked at his numbers would really argue that. But or actually, I shouldn't say that. People would argue that. <laughs> People like to argue about Josh Allen. But... <laughs> The rushing kind of puts him into a different category. It puts him, you know, it makes him a little bit more valuable as a player overall. But we also see that year to year or the impact that passing has on an offense uh, is much greater than the impact rushing has on a play by play basis. So, you know, where do you where do you kind of set the bar for Josh Allen? What's good enough mm-hmm. as a passer? I mean, it's hard to envision him doing much more as a runner than he did last year. He was really, really good as a runner. Um, you know, like Aaron mentioned, second to only Lamar Jackson in, in total value, but just the volume was really impressive as right. well. So you almost have to measure him in total yards um, as opposed to just passing yards, total touchdowns as opposed to just passing touchdowns. But you still want to see the passing numbers come up, right? You still mm-hmm. want to see um, those high-end games because those are, are the games and those are the you know the, the weeks where you can kind of change the outcomes if you're uh, more of a threat to pass the football. And I don't think it's too much to ask to, you know, say 60% completions, right? Like, somewhere in the realm of, of 3,500 passing yards or 25 passing touchdowns. Those should be fair benchmarks for a third-year quarterback. And it makes you wonder if, you know, all the talk about Josh Allen coming into the NFL was this is a guy who has a really low floor and a really high ceiling. He's boom or bust. He's, uh, you know, he's all these things. I tend to think his floor is higher and his ceiling is probably lower than what people thought if he doesn't unlock that next level as a passer. Right. And that's a fair thing to be curious about just because, you know, I, I, do, I do think that we have to, for quarterbacks in general, you have to 
think about rushing statistics and and how they have an impact on a game and especially if they're designed runs and they challenge defenses and they and they um, make defenses play the offense differently uh, because of that ability and for the offense to go to it but uh, the the numbers that you're throwing out for passing are totally attainable and it, and it just it's really dependent upon you know the drop rate getting lower than it was last year dependent upon Josh Allen becoming a more accurate passer and putting the ball in spots where uh, his players can run and catch with it rather than you know a little bit low a little bit high all of these different things um, throwing receivers open a bit more is something he needs to get better at and of course there's there's more to it than that but that this, these are just very uh, very basic things that uh, that will help him reach those those levels that we're talking about so if we're looking at yards he had almost 3100 yards last year in um, I'll say 15 games even though it says uh, uh, 16 games um, in, 15, in that season yeah 14 and a half even because he got Fourth, knocked right. out of right um, exactly that the Patriots game so totally attainable to that 3,500 yard mark. Um, he needs to get better at converting chances, and that that was something that was an issue for the Bills, scoring points in in bunches. I mean, there were a bunch of times where it's like, okay, we'll just knock it into the end zone, don't settle for the field goal. But they they had to because they just didn't they lacked that that killer instinct. But uh, you you mentioned the the takeover games, and there's really only one game last year that. Uh, that I thought that this offense and Allen in particular really took over. And that was Dallas. That was the day that it's like, okay, if he's going to be their franchise quarterback, you need to see that type of show from time to time from him. It can't just be a one-off. It can't just be the anomaly of his career. I mean, he was electric that game. He, he was, uh, he, he put, he put everything into that game for them. He was accurate. He, he threw the ball around in bunches. Um, they scored a bunch of points against a, a good team. So that's that's the one where it's like, okay, if you can get three or four games like that at minimum from from him, then you then you start to think, okay, well, they might be onto something. But it's also him being able to do that for a full game rather than just – uh, rather than just being the, the baseline guy that he was for too many times last season. Yeah, I think what people lose, you know, there's there's a lot of nuance needed in talking about the season that he had. And w- when you talk about him limiting, you know, turnovers, uh, limiting, he does need to limit do a better job of limiting sacks, as Aaron mentioned. Those are yeah, definitely. negative plays that, that kill drives. Um but it seemed like when he flipped the switch and started limiting turnovers that he also became somewhat risk averse as a passer mm-hmm. and the, the the upside plays weren't there either. So it was like he was uh, a game manager who happened to be really good running and had the occasional game like you talk about where um, you know he showed more than that or the occasional drive. There were, there were brief flashes, but um, it, it's the conversation we've had before about finding that right balance and making sure you want him to be um, be who he is, but also, you know, not be so reckless that, that he's hurting your team. I wonder, you know, so much of the, the Josh Allen projection seems like it bakes the rushing into it um, because, you know, that's a huge part of his game and, and he's obviously really valuable in that area, especially down near the goal line with the touchdowns, everything along those lines. However, 
you know, Aaron mentioned it's pretty sustainable year after year. You can count on on rushing. But I don't know if that's how you want your franchise quarterback to kind of, you know, progress through his career, in particular the way that, that Josh Allen does it, because he takes a lot of big hits. And that could have an impact on him at some point. Um, you want the passing to catch up in some ways, the same way you want the offense to close the gap on the Bills' defense. You want Josh Allen's passing to close the gap and surpass his rushing at some point. You know, the the rushing becomes so much more dangerous when you can pass the ball the way Lamar Jackson did last year. And that's not to say that Josh Allen needs to be the MVP of the league for him to be a hit, but I think, you know, the, the rushing, I think, throws up a red flag for me because I don't think it's going to get much better than it did last year. I don't. I mean, that is... He had a great, great season um, and, you know, was a big part of, of their success down near the goal line. And if it doesn't get better, then the only way he gets better is as a passer. And how much he grows uh, is, is a huge question mark. Yep. And that will be the thing that we track the most as uh, we kind of get going here into the 2020 season or so we hope. All right, so that'll do it for this week's episode of the Buffalo Beat. The next time you hear from us, hopefully, padded practices will have begun, and we get to watch some of them. So that uh, that could happen, and we have some actual football to dive in on and, and figure out how this team looks and how the practices look, because I'm sure everyone's going to be extremely curious about that. So uh, a lot of fun to be had in one of the most, uh, if not the most unique training camp we'll, we'll ever come across in 2020. All right, Matthew Fairburn, any fond words of farewell? I, I've got nothing. I, I'm ready for, I'm ready to stop talking about Josh Allen and see him throw a football for the first time <laughs> yes. in, in eight months or whatever the hell it's been. It's, it feels like one big, long month. Padded practices start on March 222nd or whatever day of March it feels like it is. <laughs> and I'm ready yes. for it. Uh, enough talking about what could be and more talking about what actually is. That's what I'm excited about. All right, so that'll do it for us. Thanks, everyone, for, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat, wherever you do it, whether it's on the Athletic Podcast Network or, uh, or on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, any, anything along those lines. And if you haven't yet, please uh, go ahead and subscribe to The Athletic, where you can read all the stuff from both Matthew and myself and Tim Graham, who, who covers a bit of everything with Buffalo sports, John Vogel, our Sabres writer, Lindsay D'Arcangelo, who does a great job with WNBA and some Buffalo stuff that she writes about. So uh, be sure to jump in on that at theathletic.com. All right, everyone, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week with some practices, we hope. See you then.